mafia. That word has strong connotations. It brings to mind gambling rackets, prostitution, hits, murders, payola, cops being paid off, shady backroom deals. There are certain names that you associate with the mafia more than any other. Luciano, Capone, Siegel, and even Genovese. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm not Christy. And I'm also not Christy. Yay. That is Scott and Amber, respectively, for those of you who are new to us. I'm Scott. I'm Amber. <laughs> now they're just trying to confuse you. We are back with some more historical true crime for you, and we have quite the case this week. We're going to get all mafia on you. But First, let's do rays of light. You guys, you guys, this is going to sound real melodramatic, but I promise you it's not. (sighs) My ray of light this week is that my husband is still alive. And as far as rays of light go, I think that I I, I beat all of us every single time we've done rays of light. (laughs) Not that it's a contest. Carol Baskin would disagree with you. (laughs) True, true. I but keep yeah. my tigers healthy by feeding a meat I used to be married to. <laughs> <laughs> we had quite a week here. Um, uh, my husband is allergic to yellow jacket stings. And guess what happened on Monday as he was mowing the lawn? And he went into anaphylactic shock. There was a hospital. I'm not going to go into the details because I'm still kind of dealing with that and will. Um, handle that in therapy next week Uh, but and then we were home they let him out after like three hours or so we were home for about 24 hours and then um it started up again because guess what there's a thing called rebound anaphylaxis that can happen within 72 hours after the initial anaphylaxis so back to the hospital we went Two days in a row of me just really destroying speed limits <laughs> and cursing red lights. And this time was not as bad, but uh, as in he was standing of his own power on the second day. But they uh, they admitted him for the night and, and now he's on he's home, thankfully, and he's on a bunch of meds. But let me tell you what's fun. Let me tell you what's really, really fun. Chris is going on, listen, a, on a rant. This is fun. This is it's what not it's, a rant. This is what it's, it's just, like whenever people talk about raisins. <laughs> it's not a rant necessarily. It's, well, it's kind of. All right. So it's just a rant about timing. What did we talk about in our show last week? I forget. You guys were there. I know I was there. I've had a lot of shit happen to me this week. Same. <clears throat> To the extent that I forgot that this was coming, we talked about Jolly Jane Toppin, the killer nurse. Oh, that's right. Motherfucker, we're sorry. And you know what I do before I release, like we do the early release for the patrons, for the patrons. And before I do that, I listen to the episode so I can get a nice episode title and, you know, kind of figure out how I want to do the show notes and all that jazz. And so I go to listen to it and I'm like, 
this is when Jackson was in the hospital overnight. I'm all alone sitting out on my deck and I see what I have to listen to because I also forgot. And I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) no. And so I had to listen to myself for an hour and a half with you guys talk about a killer nurse who would dose her patients up and then snuggle them as they died. And that was pretty horrifying in that moment of all the times we could have done that case. We had to do it the week my husband went to the hospital. So that is uh, that not that in particular, but my husband being alive is my ray of light because I, I love him dearly and I'm, I'm very grateful to still have him in my life. And so, yeah, that's my very emotional ray of light. And, you know, people come to us for the true crime and the funnies. Then here I am with my uh, <laughs> like existential crisis so scott ray of light what you got i was pretty pissed this week too i uh i don't get that doesn't sound like a ray of light scott (laughs) you'll see where i'm going with this i don't get desserts very often because i have a weight problem it goes up it goes down but you know what i was having a real shitty day i decided you know what i want i want a nice warm apple pie so Hmm. i go to sheets and i get French apple pie, because I've never heard of French apple pie before, right? It has, like, it can't be that different. It's got, like, it looks like the regular apple pie, except for, like, a white glaze on the top. Looks fantastic. So I get that. I bring it home, put it in the microwave for 30 seconds. I pull it out. smells really good. I take a bite into it. French apple pie has fucking raisins in it. Threw the motherfucker in the trash. I was so oh fucking disappointed. God. Oh my god, that is that is too funny. Nowhere on that fucking pack did it say raisins. It should say <laughs> warning raisins. Raisin pie with apples. So I love this because our our past podcasts are coming back to bite us. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. both of us. All. Three of us. Oh, oh my gosh. Fuck. It's thematic rays of light. Okay. So do you guys remember the podcast we did about the bootlegging with the midgets in this in the sewer system? Did you yeah, get, that was did you of the get, show Jamie? Did you get uh, fondled by a midget? What happened? I got to be the midget today. Oh no. So, uh, <laughs> so right before this like the podcast started tonight, I was actually like 10 minutes late. And this is why. My, my five-year-old went into the bathroom because she had to poop, right? And for some reason, the first thing she does is flush the toilet, even if there's nothing in it. But apparently she saw some toilet paper down at the bottom, so she flushes. Nothing happens, so she flushes again and again and again and again. So somebody had clogged the toilet. She flushed it about mm, 10 to 15 times. And um, as it started to overflow, she runs and gets me and goes, I still have to poop. I'm going downstairs. And I'm confused by this, but I'm like, okay. So she goes to the downstairs bathroom, runs immediately back upstairs. She goes, mommy, the whole house is leaking. There's poop everywhere. Oh, no. So she has flooded not one, but two of my bathrooms. That's pretty impressive. There is shit water everywhere. And she's flipping out because she still has to poop. Oh, my God. 
And the only thing I can think aside from, okay, I'm going to be late for the podcast is um, Chrissy and Scott have made better life choices than me. Um, <laughs> so, so I had to, to hurry and, and uh, clean up all of this mess, unclog things and, and bleach the shit out of everything in the house. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, why did I have kids? <laughs> and like at one point after I got the floor mostly mopped up, Kennedy runs in and sits on the pot and starts taking a shit as I am still cleaning up all the shit water off the floor. And that was what I was thinking of was the midgets in the sewer with their <laughs> just pulling the fire hose. <laughs> Old podcast coming Whoa. back on us. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, after this is uh this is gonna be episode six. 79 or 80 i think so i guess it's bound to happen eventually <laughs> yes oh uh, gosh um speaking of something a, else real shit go ahead water of a, oh speaking of a real shit water of a person yay this week we're going to be talking about vito genovese no it's not something that harry potter says to make a deer appear this is an actual human being uh <laughs> Vito Genovese, he was born November 21st, 1897, in, and I'm going to mess up a lot of words today, Rizigliano, uh, that is in, the, in Naples, Italy. His father was Francis Felice Genovese, and his mother was Nunziato Aluato. I'd like to add something about his birthplace here. Uh, he was born, Rizigliano something, I... I I have Tofino, Italy, which I think that the, the town or area you named is in that. It, it, I think it's like, you know, states. It's it is a, a area in the commune of Tofino. So you're both. Okay. Right. right. All right. So Tofino's patron saint is Bartholomew the Apostle, whose martyrdom is commemorated on September 11th, which, as we record this, is tomorrow. So Vito has a sister. Giovanni, Jenny, uh, and he has two brothers, Michael and Carmine. Now, uh, they're gonna, Michael and Carmine are going to work with uh, Vito later on. Uh, spoilers, it's organized crime. And we're pretty close to Pittsburgh. His cousin, Michael, actually becomes boss of the Pittsburgh crime family. I found that fascinating. Yeah. I, was, I, I started reading a little bit uh, about it, just delving in, uh, just tiny bit into like the wikipedia article about the pittsburgh crime family and they're like mentioning like little towns and areas i'm familiar with like new kensington and monroeville and i'm like it's so weird that people were battling for control over new kensington <laughs> sorry new kensington we will have we will control braddock <laughs> yeah. squirrel hill is ours yes just yes, wait hill. till we get to <laughs> versailles <laughs> We'll How do you think? We'll control everything from the Century 3 Mall down to the Macaroni Factory. <laughs> the Pittsburgh crime family, they were the LaRocca family. Uh, I don't know why I know this, but Genovese was five foot seven. <laughs> and and they, he actually, whenever he was older, uh, him and his family actually lived a pretty quiet life in Atlantic Highlands in New Jersey. Uh, Genovese, he wasn't highly educated. He only went to the fifth grade, uh, but it was a different time. It, we're, we're talking late, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. 
My dad was born in 1918, only went to the eighth grade himself. It was not a common thing to finish high school back then. Um, in 1913, Genovese is 15 years old. His family immigrates to the United States, and they take up residence in Little Italy in Manhattan. And we've, we've got to start someplace. We've got to start someplace with our crime, because we just don't, like, you know, you're not, you're not, like, fucking, you know, one day you're, you're, uh, you're all church-going and happy-go-lucky, and the next day you're, you're rubbing out people. Uh, we can't all be Walter White, and even he had a little bit of a learning curve. I've seen the first couple of episodes. Uh, he starts his criminal career stealing merchandise from vendors and running errands for mobsters. Uh, a little bit later on, he collects money from people who play illegal lotteries, and that comes back to bite him. Uh, at the age of 19, uh, Vito spends one year in prison for illegal possession of a firearm. By the 1920s, uh, Vito is working for Joe the Boss, uh, Massieri, or Masseria. Mm. Masseria? Masseria. Masseria. I'm going to go with, I think Masseria sounds kind of right. Does that sound kind of right? Masseria. We'll say Masseria. Uh, Masseria, Joe the Boss, is, as the nickname implies, the boss of a very powerful Manhattan gang uh, that eventually evolves into the Genovese crime family. Uh, Luciano... Uh, and he, uh, he's working with a gambler, uh, named Arnold the Brain Rothstein. Who we've seen before, yeah. I believe, in the Legs Diamond episode. Oh, you're gonna get, we're gonna have a whole lot of body part names. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Lucky Luciano has come up several times. Oh, yeah. And, and something I'd like to mention, these guys were like friends, kind of, like, lifelong friends, and then not so much, but uh, they were actually born three days apart. Uh, Luciano was born on November 24th, and I did actually see some sources said that uh, Genovese was born on November 27th, but one way or the other, 21st or 27th, it's still three days apart. Yeah. And and the same year, 1897, so they were only, like, one was only three days older than the other, and we don't know who, because sources very wildly, there we go. And Arnold the Brain Rothstein had, had an accomplice who was a, a, quite a bit taller, a little bit thinner than he was, uh, James the Pinky uh, Marcel. Uh, that's just a complete lie. Pinky and the Brain. Um, I couldn't, <laughs> nice, couldn't nice. fucking resist. Uh, <laughs> I can't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, the Brain, he sees a very big windfall coming from Prohibition. And he kind of comes back and he goes to Luciano and Luciano looks at him and goes, what are we going to do tonight, brain? <laughs> and, and he looks at him and goes, same thing we do every night, Lucky. Running bootleg alcohol as a business. <laughs> <laughs> so Luciano, Genovese, and Frank Costello, uh, they start their own bootlogging, uh, bootlegging operation with financing from Rothstein. Now, Frank Costello, he's, a, he's kind of an interesting character himself. He was born Francesco uh, Castiglia. Uh, and he, uh, him, like, like Christy said, they're friends. And you know every once in a while, like, you, you like, ah, I'm just busting your balls, Frank. 
you know, uh, I'm at Visa, hey, Frank, I fucked your wife last night. You know, that, it's pretty heated. Yeah, they decided, like, later on, like, these friends are going to try to kill each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all business. <laughs> uh, now, Genovese, he does not stay out of prison uh, very long. In 1930, he's indicted on counterfeiting charges. The police found $1 million of counterfeit currency in, in a Brooklyn workshop. Uh, anybody want to do the math on this one? I did a lot of math on the previous one. Oh, I'll do it right now. All I can right. do it quick. Listen to the hate in Christy's voice. <laughs> no, that's not, it's not hate. She, it was just like, oh, I'll do it. She, oh, she, I'm not saying you hate me. I'm saying <laughs> you hate the fact that you need the no. I do, yeah. It's, it's, I hate my brain. <laughs> and then that was 1930, so 19... 30... 15.5 million. 15.5 million in fake money. Now, uh, a little bit later on, the same year, Genovese, uh, Genovese murders who? The, uh, this person who apparently is a fucking G word jumble of a name. Gaetano Reyna. Gaetano Reyna. Uh, this dude looks like the Kurgan from Highlander. Uh, <laughs> he, is, he was an Italian-American gangster. Uh, he was the founder of what is now called the Lucchese crime family in New York City. Um, and he, he doesn't die peacefully either. Uh, now, Reyna had been a Masseria ally. Masseria? Fuck. I'm going to mess that up every single time. We um, don't even know if it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't know if you're messing up or not. Somebody out there does, and will probably correct us. I'm going to say Masseria because it rhymes with diarrhea. Um, there you go. Yeah. Scott mysteriously died. <laughs> Three days after this goes out. Uh, so Reyna had been Masseria's ally, but Masseria goes, you know what? I don't like him anymore. I think he's helping... Uh, my, my arch rival. Yes, I have an arch rival. It's fucking ridiculous. I'm, a, I'm an adult. I have a nemesis. Salvatore Maranzano. Um, so he decides we're, we're going to kill him. Uh, and on, he takes, uh, takes Genovese and goes kill Reyna. So on February 26, 1930, Genovese ambushes Reyna as he was leaving his mistress's house in the Bronx and shot him in the back of the head with a shotgun. Sheesh. Yeah. It, what, what I got from all this, honestly, like reading about it and researching it, was that nobody in this world, this, this world of, of, of organized crime, was ever safe. Nope. And I had this, this feeling of, I mean, it's obvious. Yes, it's obvious. But having gone through what I went through this past week, that was the aspect that hit me the most, that people are shot in restaurants and people are shot in restaurants and people are shot in restaurants and people are shot in cars and people are, you know, of course, you have the cement blocks and the river and all that stuff. And it's just this this feeling of I could never, ever do this because of the knowledge that I would never be safe at any moment somebody could whack you snuff you out rub you out all the you know slang whatever <laughs> rub you out yeah they, they can rub you out all they want um so the big thing that i got out of this is it didn't matter even what side you were on because if you went and told your boss this guy's betraying you that guy's gonna be dead but so are you because you told yeah yeah 
It, it could be even though it he's could be, to be loyal. It could be even more innocent than that. It, it could be the boss is like, you know what? I think Scott's lower lip is kind of ugly, and I think it may be hurting business. And instead of letting him go, I think it'd just be easier to kill him. Well, you can't. You can't let them leave. Yeah. Yeah. They know too much. Yeah. And, and you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to acknowledge there's that code of silence. You're never allowed to acknowledge that there even is a mafia. It's just, it, it feels very much like there's nowhere to go. Like once you have done wrong by one person, you can't go to the cops. You can't go to their enemies or the, you know, the enemy of the person that you, you've done wrong, whether on purpose or by accident, you can't do anything. You're just, you're automatically marked and you're done. Yeah. Little hint. Not a lot of people die in their sleep in this yeah. one peacefully, you yeah. know, like the age of 83. Well, this, that doesn't happen a lot in most of our episodes. It, it, it doesn't. But I mean, we've got a lot of people, usually like two or three people just, you know, die kind of nasty. In this one, it's pretty much everybody. Most of the people who actually die of old age do so in prison. Uh, yep, yep, yep. So. Right. Literally, my last page and a half of notes is the people murdered by Vito and um, their rank and affiliation and why. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I have just... two pages of who he killed. Oh my god! Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly very, very important, important term to use there. So let's talk about the Castellamaris War. I think I said that. Oh, right. yes. Castellamaris War. The Castellamaris War was a power struggle for control of the mafia that took place in New York City uh, between February and April. Not of the same year. It was February 1930 all the way to April of 1931. Now, Masseria and Maranzano, those are our two generals in this war. These are the two guys fighting against each other. And the, the war's namesake is derived from the Sicilian town of Castellamaria del Golfo, which was the birthplace of Maranzano. Um, and Vito played a huge part in this. Uh, in a secret deal with Maranzano, Luciano agreed to engineer the death of his boss, Masseria, in return for receiving all of Masseria's dirty little jobs around, around everything, like prostitution, uh, extortion, gambling, uh, bootlegging, artichokes. Um. <laughs> and the reason for this was because... All of like they, Luciano and it seems like Genovese seemed to realize that this big war between the two factions was cutting into business. It was basically a huge distraction and it was making it so people weren't making as much money as they could be otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That's what it came down to. It wasn't really hate or anything like that. Hate kind of yeah. blossomed into it, but it was essentially a business deal. This is the same thing of like, Oh, I accidentally hit reply all to in a nasty email I meant to send my supervisor. I guess I'm getting fired tomorrow. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, it, it's it's just down to that. It's just down to to the money. It's down to the dollars and cents of the whole thing. And this ends. I, I would also like to say. It's also down to, and we'll get to this after we get to a couple other things, but it's also down to a vision of the future, which includes money. But yes. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. So this all ends, as I said, April 15th, 1931, uh, at a restaurant called Nueva Via Tamaro at Coney Island. Uh, 
the, Luciano goes, hey, let's, let's meet at this restaurant, Masseria. Let's, uh, let's play some cards. And Luciano, they're kind of in the middle of playing cards. And he goes, I got to take a dump. <laughs> so he goes into the bathroom, giggling like, like that dog in, in like Snidely Whiplash's dog. <laughs> and hopefully not flushing the toilet repeatedly. Right. <laughs> I can't hear the guns. All of a sudden, <laughs> the door is fucking kicked down. Genovese. Uh, Albert Anastasia, Joe Adonis, who uh, you might remember from the back of uh, comic book ads uh, with flexing the muscles and saying, are you tired of getting sand kicked in your face? Uh, Bugsy Siegel. And if you want to hear more about this, our old tiny crimey, Ciro, the artichoke king, Terranova. Kicked down the door, fucking gut him down. Except Ciro. Ciro was the getaway driver. Uh, but apparently, Ciro is just like, I, I'm fucking artichoke king. I'm, I'm shaking up. And he just got shoved out of the driver's seat, and Seagull goes, I'll fucking drive. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Eat your fucking artichoke hearts, you, you fucking wiener. Who invited the artichoke king to the fucking assassination? <laughs> Did we really think this was going to go any other way? The dude teared up cutting an artichoke in half the other day. Why did we invite him to this? Jesus Christ. So Luciano takes over the Masserias, and Genovese becomes the underboss. He's second in command. Mm -hmm. uh, and second in command, whenever you have someone like, uh, like uh, Genovese as the second in command, it's never going to go well. Let me, let me talk about like, the people who are usually second in command. Uh, you have Brutus to the command of Caesar. How well did that go? Two brute. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you have uh, Starscream and Megatron. You know, that, that went badly. Uh, As we all know. <laughs> absolutely. Some of us do. Uh, uh, Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine? Yes. See? The second in command. There we go. Amber, do you have fandom with the traitorous second in command? I don't. Yeah? I feel like a failure. <laughs> no, no, no. I just... I just kind of feel like eventually you'll you'll kill your husband and you'll be kind of living this. I, I don't have a second in command. You see, that's what a second in command would say. There is only me. Do you, do you think that her husband is the second in command? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that it's two people vying for command all the time and the power <laughs> dynamic changes. Some days you're wearing the strap on, some days the strap on wears you. Amber seems to have nothing to say about this, <laughs> except a head tilt and a quizzical expression. <laughs> well, like, no. Okay, no. I'm, I'm going to leave that go for now, because I, I went somewhere else. Okay, Scott, continue, <laughs> please. We beg you. We beg you. <laughs> so, 1931, uh, Luciano and Genovese together, they plan the murder of Salvatore Maranzano. Uh, Luciano uh, heard that Maranzano was planning to kill him and Genovese and prepares a, prepare, uh, prepares a team of assassins to get Maranzano first. Once again, it's not hate. It's just business. It's safety at this point. We're, we're getting word that he's going to kill us. We're going to kill him first. And September 10th, 1931, Maranzano uh, says, hey, Luciano, Genovese, Costello, Come over, meet me here at my office. They knew, oh, that's where Maranzano's going to kill us. 
So yeah. Maranzano, uh, instead of Luciano and Costello walking in, whenever the doorbell rings, as I imagine there is a doorbell, uh, instead it's uh, four Jewish gangsters. Cosplaying as government agents. Yes. <laughs> I think it's not cosplaying at that point. I think it's in disguise. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I loved about this was not only did uh, Luciano and Genovese uh, call upon, basically they outsourced, you know, they were, they're like, we can't trust anybody in the organization to do this and not go back to Maranzano and tell him what we're planning. So they got the Jewish gangsters. Maranzano had the exact same idea. He got an Irish American gangster named Vincent Mad Dog Cole to go for the hit. And it was... <laughs> Tommy Three Fingers Brown Lucese, who warned Luciano, who I have to tell you a little bit about Tommy Three Fingers Brown, as I imagine you want to know. How many fingers did he have? Uno, dos, tres. Mm. I don't know how to count in Italian, so you get you get Spanish. I thought maybe um, he only had two fingers, and it was just a, just a funny nickname, like calling a fat guy tiny. No, this is fascinating. He actually was one of the founding members of the mafia in the United States. And when he was 15 years old, he lost his thumb and his forefinger in a machine shop accident. And then in his 20s, he was booked for some crime or another, God only knows. And the cop saw his three fingers and it reminded him of a pitcher in the major leagues named Mordecai Three fingers brown. Guess how many fingers he had? Twelve. Three and like three and like some partials. Ah. Uh, he, he he lost uh, some of two fingers. He 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 wasn't quite three fingers. He, like one of his fingers was like kind of cut down a little bit. But he lost them in a farm machinery accident at age twelve. Well, and he lost some fingers, but he turned that around and he managed to like engineer this killer curveball that made him like absolutely fearsome in the major leagues. And he ended up, uh, he died in 1948. And in 1949, he got into the Baseball Hall of Fame. So not a not a bad person to be nicknamed after, I guess. I mean, it's a weird thing. It's like, oh, you have three fingers? Oh, that guy has three fingers. It's like, you may as well name the mobster after your fucking shop teacher, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just think it was fascinating that they were both like smart enough to outsource both Maranzano and then the team of Luciano and Genovese, but it was just a matter of who outsourced more and also who got the information, you know, who got backstabbed and who got backstabbed was Maranzano. 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 And that was called, I didn't look too much into this, but the the name for this, the, what began when with Maranzano's killing was the Night of the Sicilian Vespers. I, I just wrote it down because I wanted to say it. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that. <laughs> this ended up, what looked like being a struggle between two factions, ended up being a generational shift from one generation to the other. I mean, not willingly. It's not like Maranzano was like, hey, take the business. No, that was not at all what happened. He was, you know, killed. But Luciano had this vision for the future. He saw that the old generation was not going to be able to adapt to, you know, what they needed to do as far as, you know, once prohibition ends. He saw that prohibition was going to end. And he was like, well, our main money is coming from alcohol and artichokes. So 
<laughs> like, where's it going to come from? We're only going to have artichokes. It's the name of the new album. We're all going to make a band and call it Alcohol and Artichokes by the old-timey <laughs> crimey band. I love it. <laughs> See, yeah, it was basically like Luciano was like, I can restructure things and I can make this new generation of the mafia because the old generation is just not going to cut it. They're too stuck in their ways. That's true. That's true. Uh, going back to the sports thing, like the, the, uh, the three-fingered uh, baseball pitcher, uh, just a little side note. Uh, this gentleman actually died this year of in 1973. Uh, Tom Dempsey, he was uh, he he played for the New Orleans Saints, the Eagles, the uh, the Rams, the Oilers, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, in 1970, he kicked a 63-yard field goal, and that stood for 40 years. Wow. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. He was born with no toes on his right foot and no fingers on his right hand. Holy shit! So Dempsey had wore a custom flat front kicking shoe that ended where his toes were supposed to begin. And this, uh, because it had like a broad surface, it meant, holy fuck, this dude could kick a ball far. Wow. Because it's like more surface area. And so that is uh, that put in a rule called the Tom Dempsey rule. That says, and I quote, any shoe that is worn by a player with an artificial limb on his kicking leg must have a kicking surface that conforms to that of a normal kicking shoe. Huh. A little bit for our football fans out there. All three of you. <laughs> I, I, love, I love this. I don't, I don't love the fact, but one of the people who dies a somewhat natural death in this is Genovese's first wife, Donata Ragoni. Uh, she unfortunately dies of tuberculosis in 1931. Uh, somebody goes up to Genovese and goes, uh, uh, you know, how are you feeling? He goes, oh, it's okay. I'm, uh, I'm going to marry Annie Patillo. And this came to, uh, to a big surprise to her husband, Gerard Vanottico. Uh, Gerard also got surprised on March 16th, 1932, whenever he was strangled to death on his Manhattan rooftop. Uh, yeah. Pretty shocking. Yeah. Uh, approximately 12 days later, on the 28th, Genovese marries Anna. Hmm. And she was six months pregnant at the time. Probably not with Vernatico's kid. Probably not. I'm going to get, when we get uh, a little further in, I'm going to get a little bit more into her life because she's an interesting figure. Damn. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even, even the whole thing was, uh, uh, was kind of weird because Anna is Genovese's cousin. Yep. Yep. And there's actually a whole entire podcast series, the Mob Queens podcast, that looks at her life that I started listening to today. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm subscribing to that. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely that's going to be my listen over the next week or so. In, so enjoy the waterhead, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, it, what's interesting here is that Luciano does take over. But he doesn't take the crown. He, 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 could, he could declare himself the boss of the bosses, the capo de tutti capi. But he says, no, we don't need that anymore. We need a committee. We need to be democratic about this shit. And so he makes a commission that they, they form at a conference in Chicago. Where they, they gather all the biggest godfathers, which, spoiler alert, having it in a big city is a better idea than having it in a small town. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, and uh, Luciano is dead fucking set against it. Like, Genovese goes, hey, you can be the boss of bosses. Don't you ever fucking say that to me again. There is no boss of bosses. He, he threatened. Luciano well, for a little while, he said that against it. A little while later, he changes his mind, but for reasons. But he does, yeah, that's when he names Genovese his second in command. And also, states, basically, he sees, like I said, he was looking at the future and looking at Prohibition ending. And he's like, where can we get more money? And one place where he saw more money was prostitution outfits. Brothels. Let me tell you he something. Start- Come over here. Come over here to the alley, buddy. You want the fucking best orgasm of your fucking life? You want to come like a goddamn jackrabbit? Stick this auto choke up your ass. <laughs> you, That's one way of combining uh, your different ventures. You will jizz <laughs> like a goddamn fire hose, let me tell you. And you got a snack afterwards, too. Well, Luciano wasn't directly in charge for very long actually it's kind of <laughs> funny like all this work to get in charge and then mm, not so much yeah are we talking about the uh Baccia murder we are indeed yeah when when genovese and and Baccia get together for a scheme and and Baccia is like yeah you know um uh, was it or was it Luciano or Genovese who got together with Baccio? It's it's Genovese and Baccio. Okay, I just want to make sure I was right. Yeah, Genovese okay. and Baccio. They go, hey, we got this wealthy gambler out of here. Let's fucking cheat him out of this one hundred and fifty thousand dollars high stakes card game, and they pull it off. And after the game, Baccio goes, uh, "I want thirty five thousand dollars." I introduce the victim uh, to you, Genovese, and Genovese. He's basically like a finder's fee, bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Genovese goes, yeah, we'll get you your money in fucking lead. And just, uh, Don't say that out loud, Genovese. <laughs> ah, fuck you, buddy. And on September 19th, 1934, Genovese and five associates shot and killed Baccia in a coffee shop in Brooklyn. And then 1936, Luciano is convicted for pandering, which is basically running a bunch of prostitution rings he gets 30 to 50 years but he's he's out after world war ii as long as he leaves the u.s so he wasn't even in jail for 10 years but this was what puts genovese as acting boss of the the luciano crime family and what i found fascinating was there is a character here that i feel deserves more of a spotlight and that is one eunice carter I did not see Eunice Carter in any of my research. Tell me about Eunice Carter. Eunice Carter was the assistant DA, brand new on the job, and she saw some connections between the brothels and the sex workers and the Luciano crime family. And she, who also, in addition to being a woman, was black, the first black woman assistant DA in New York state in her first year on the job was like, went to her boss, Thomas Dewey. And she was like, okay, look, we got, I'm seeing the connection here. We need to do something about this. So she is the one who instigated the raid on the brothels and aided the eventual prosecution of Luciano in her first year on the job. She would also go on to, uh, or maybe she was at the time, I'm not sure of the timeline, but she married one of the first black dentists in New York. And 
their only son, this family is amazing. Their only son would go on to work for not only John F. Kennedy, but also uh, Lyndon Johnson, both of those administrations he worked for. And then one of his children would go on to write a biography of his grandmother, Eunice. That's awesome. Wow. Absolutely amazing woman. And she and her husband created uh, an absolute legacy that, that lives on to this day. And I was fascinated by that. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Uh, let's flash forward to 1937. Uh, Genovese becomes a, well... Towards the end of 36, Genovese becomes a naturalized uh, United States citizen. But in 37, he's kind of, kind of worried that he's going to be prosecuted for the Boccia murder. So he flees to Italy with three quarters of a million dollars and settles in the city of Nola near Naples. That's $14 million in today's money. Ooh. <laughs> you think that's enough to get by for a little while? It's, it's a um, little bit. I think if you're going to spend it on bribing fascists and buying coke for fascist sons-in-law then yeah yeah it should, it should it should work but here's the thing it apparently didn't last for as long as it needed to because Anna his wife that we mentioned earlier she's on her own he he skedaddles off to to Naples and Anna's off her own, on her own and it's the middle of the Great Depression and she's a woman on her own with a couple of kids and prohibition has been repealed. The cops are bored. They have nothing to do. So they were like, well, we can't bust people for drinking alcohol. What don't we like? Oh, I know what we don't like. Gay people. Let's bust every bar that serves gay people and welcomes gay people and let's bust gay people too. So it was basically gay prohibition is what it was called. So Anna Genovese used her influence with the mob to run gay and drag bars in New York. She is amazing. I'm telling you, I'm going to listen to that Mob Queens podcast. It's going to be amazing. And then maybe we'll do an entire episode on Anna Genovese because she's awesome. She was likely gay or bisexual herself. Uh, she would eventually have uh, a partner for, for a long period of time, a female partner. But then she would basically skim off the profits of these bars and nightclubs and such and take them over to Italy and give them to Vito so he could use them to work his way through the fascist system. That is incredible. I didn't know that about Anna. Yeah, she's really fascinating. Wait till we get to the divorce. <laughs> I have newspaper articles. <laughs> now, now, here's where it gets even weirder. Uh, Genovese, while he's near Naples, becomes friends with one Galeazzo Ciano, who happens to be the son-in-law of Benito Mussolini. Yes, that Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Like, he of the ridiculous... Like, like fucking building with his face on it. Yeah. Look it up. Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. Like, he kind of, like, one day, like, uh, like Genovese meets Gianna and goes, oh, so you're a Benito's uh, son-in-law. Want some booger sugar? And, <laughs> and Galeazzo goes, fuck, yeah, I do. And that is, uh, that's, that's how, like, everything goes down. He provides Gianna with cocaine. And then Genovese and him become fast friends, very fast, because cocaine really speeds you the fuck up. They got a lot of cleaning done. 
thought uh, you were going to say fascist friends. <laughs> well, they're also... Because they were. Yeah, yeah, they were. Genovese actually donates $4 million to the fascist party by the end of World War II. Oops. That's where all that money's going. That's mm-hmm. where all that... Isn't that isn't that interesting to think that this money is being skimmed off the top of Anna setting up gay and drag nightclubs and bars in New York City. So all these, these people in America who don't have any place to go where they can be themselves and be accepted and find other people who are like them and find love and companionship and friendship. And then it's sent off... The money is sent off to Italy to help the fascists. Mm-hmm. Like, it could not be more ironic if it tried. I know. I know. And I mean, he, he was a, awarded a lot of awards. He was, uh, he was awarded the Order of Saints Maurice and Lazarus. He was made a commendatore. Uh, if, for those of you curious, it's a knight commander. It's a title of honor prevalent in chivalric orders. And he... Even Genovese even participated in helping create a new fascist party headquarters in NOLA. Jesus. And even from Italy, he's still got his fingers in the pies back in New York City. He manages to, like Mussolini's got an enemy who's, who's doing some publishing in New York. Carlo Tresca. Yes, yes. And Genovese's like, I got this. I'll take care of him. And orders a hit on him in 1943. So he's, 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 he's extending his power. His reach extends across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, that was Carmine Galante who, who shot Tresca uh, outside of his newspaper office in Manhattan. Uh, he was a member of the Bonanno crime family, which I just I can't say without laughing. <laughs> the, what was that? The banana crime family? The Bonanno. I'm sorry. I shouldn't make fun of the name. Because <laughs> it's low-hanging like, fruit. Ah, ha, ha. <laughs> See, I I'm go, not sorry at all. I go two <laughs> ways. I see that and I see banana, but I also see bonobo, which is the, the sex monkeys. Uh, they're, yeah. they're the monkeys that use sex for everything. Uh, but even though Carmine, everybody kind of knew Carmine did it, no one was ever charged in the Tresca murder. It's like who killed, who killed uh, Tupac? Everybody knows who did it. And just nobody, nobody's going to say who it really was. Well, this was the way it went in the majority. And like every single one, we saw this with Legs Diamond too. I think we saw some of it with the Denver crime family. Um, this was the way it always went. Because if you, if you talked, you died. Mm-hmm. So nobody would talk because they knew the penalty. And the people who did talk, who were willing to, to talk, they ended up dying too. So there's no case to be made. So yeah, it's it's always... That that power always ends up staying in their hands because they can do whatever they want without consequences for the most part. I mean, eventually stuff catches up to people and yeah. or, you know, somebody kills them, essentially. The Allies invade Italy, September of 1943, and Genovese goes, USA, USA, USA. <laughs> yeah, he hopped right over that mm-hmm. fence pretty damn quick. The New York governor, Charles Paletti. Uh, opens his door one morning and finds a 1938 Packard sedan that uh, says, "From with uh, with uh, with love, Genovese," and he goes, "I accept because I don't want to die." Yeah, <laughs> and Genovese is appointed in the U.S. Army headquarters in Naples as an interpreter and liaison officer, and quickly becomes. One of the Allied military's government for occupied territories most trusted employees. 
He's their interpreter, their liaison officer, and their fixer, which is, uh, yeah, no. that's not something that you, is usually said out loud about government organizations. Yeah. Now, at this point, Genovese, he's, uh, he, he, becomes, he starts to see the error of his ways, and he, uh, he settles down with Anna. Uh, he, <laughs> he takes this as a second chance. And he lives a very quiet life, has a couple of kids. Yeah, they're with his cousin. So, I mean, they're not the smartest kids in the world. But he, he lives a very happy life and dies at the, at the age of 95, surrounded by family, friends. And I'm fucking kidding with you. He's a piece of shit from beginning to end. Oh, if you'd have kept on going and just, like, stopped, I would have gone, thank you for listening to old-timey crimey mm -hmm. and <laughs> pretended to finish up the show. Do you often find that you need a distraction from everyday life? Do you like true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, and other weird, dark tales? Well, tune in and turn up Weird Distractions Podcast, where we, your hosts, Christy and Alex, bring you a weird distraction to help you get through the work week. Every Sunday morning, you can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, Good Pods, and more. So grab a snack, get comfy, and make sure to lock those doors. Need a distraction? We, we got, got you. you. It's all lies. He's a terrible human. He is. he is a terrible human being. Yeah, he's all the while he's working for the U.S. government. He's also using the U.S. government to run a black market and stealing materials from the army in wartime to run a black market. Mm -hmm. But what I really loved was the person who was really on his ass and was really like just dogged in his determination to... Ab absolutely get Genovese. The Criminal Investigation Division, his name is Agent Orange uh, C. Dickey. <laughs> that's right. Agent, it gets on both sides. <laughs> Agent Orange C. Dickey. And the first thing I think is uh, just Trump with his pants down. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, Agent Orange C. Mushroom Dickey. Yeah. Uh, after... <laughs> After months of frustration, Dickie, uh, he, he ships uh, Genovese back to New York to face trial, but he comes under, under an amazing amount of pressure, and Genovese goes, uh, hey, uh, how much you make a year? And he goes, well, you know, it's 1944, so I make like $12 a year. Yeah, that's pretty good <laughs> money for an agent. I'd like to make a quarter million dollars and just let me walk the other way. Quarter million dollars. Quarter million dollars in 1944 money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to do it? Yeah. I, okay. Because I know, I know you can't help it. But, okay, so Dickie, despite his awful name, I've got to give him props, because not only did he turn that down, he was also getting pressured by his bosses to just let it go, and he's like, no, I'm doing the right thing here, guys. Mm-hmm. $3.6 million. $3.6 million. To let the dude walk away. I would let Osama bin Laden go for $3.6 million. And as much as we make fun of Agent Orange C. Dickey, he did not take the bait. He didn't. He did Props to him. Uh, He's got balls. Yeah, he does. And an orange <laughs> Dickey. Um, who the <laughs> fuck names their kid Orange? Orange and your last name is Dickey. That's horrible horrifying what parents do that what kind of psychological damage are you trying to inflict is this the plan like you're like this is a psychological experiment let's see how much we can fuck up a kid 
But okay. they went wrong, apparently, because he went the straight and narrow. I knew a bus driver named Dick <laughs> Stiffy Jr. Jesus. Oh, uh, did we look what the C stands for, though? Because now I'm curious. Oh, no, we did not. I'm just for like caught. Charles. <laughs> I hope it's something equally awful. Orange C. Dickey. Uh, let's see here. Found his graves. Mm. Orange C Dick. Maybe it just stands for C. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm just seeing C. Eight, huh. Orange C Dicky. When Orange Dicky was born about 1920, his father Harvey was 26 and his mother Elda was 21. In 1940, he was 20 years old and lived in Summerhill, Pennsylvania. What? Yeah, that's like a stone's throw away from here. Like, seriously, Summerhill is right down the highway with his father, mother, brother, and sister. That is according to Ancestry.com's 1940 census records. I'm assuming, I mean, it could be a different Orange Dickey, but God, how many Orange Dickies can there be? Home in 1940 is uh, Portage, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I think there's only one Orange Dickey. No, yeah, there's there, two there can't be because... That many. because uh, uh, there you have Orange Dickies men's work shirts at Walmart.com. Well, isn't that probably... Oh, God. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And the C in Orange Dickey, I found his birth certificate. Kennedy. C-A-N-N-E-D-Y. That's a weird spelling of Kennedy, but okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Orange, Orange Kennedy Dickey. Orange Kennedy Dickey. Kennedy Dickey. Kennedy Dickey. All right, so back to Genovese. Genovese. Which, by the way, I, I, I don't think we specified. He, it actually is the Boccia murder from years before that's catching up to him now. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, implicated, sort of. he's implicated in it again uh, by a mobster, Ernest the Hawk Rupalo. Uh, he was a former associate of Genovese, and he was facing a murder conviction. And he goes, uh, I got some information. If you can cut me some slack, he becomes a government witness. And, uh, yeah. On August 27th, 1944, the military police arrested Genovese in Italy uh, during an investigation into his running of the black market. Uh, and he'd been stealing trucks, flour, and sugar from the army. And Orange C. Dickey, again, he comes in, he looks at Genovese's background, and he goes, oh, holy shit, you're a fugitive. You're, you're wanted for the 1934 killing. And you know what? The U.S. Army went, ah, oh, fuck it. Whatever, we don't care. And months and months of frustration. And then finally he gets Genovese on the ship. Genovese is arraigned on the murder charges for the 1934 killing. He pleads not guilty. Uh, Jerry Esposito, another witness for the prosecution, is mysteriously found dead. I wonder how that happened. Mysterious. Mm -hmm. Peter suicided. Yeah, suicided. Uh, beside a road in Norwood, New Jersey. Famed for its lack of mafia. Um, and another witness, Peter LaTempa, found dead in his cell. Epstein. The judge says after they end up having to drop the charges because all of their witness has, witnesses have mysteriously died, quote, I cannot speak for the jury, but I believe that if there were even a shred of corroborating evidence, you would have been condemned to the chair. Just like Starscream, Genovese now, he's released and he's able to rejoin the Luciano crime family that Costello, Moretti, 
they're not going to return power to him. They, they don't trust Genovese at this point. Uh, in 1946, uh, Meyer Lansky, who was also known as the mob's accountant, he calls a meeting of the head of the major crimes family in Havana that December. The three topics uh, on the table were heroin, Cuban gambling, and what to do about Siegel and the Flamingo Hotel project in Las Vegas that was completely fucked. At this meeting in Havana, Genovese's goal, he wants to become the boss of bosses. And keep in mind, Luciano, he had been released from prison and they just basically said, don't come back to America. Just go away from America and you won't go back to prison. So they had the meeting in Havana and Luciano's like, hey, I can go there. What a coincidence. So Luciano goes and Genovese's like, you know, I, I he's talking to Luciano. He's like, you know, I, I think I should be the boss of bosses. I think I should be in charge of everything. And Luciano's like, no, I already told everybody years ago, there's not going to be a boss of bosses. And if there was, obviously it would be me. So then they have a big actual meeting with all the, you know, all the big mob bosses. Luciano in that meeting turns around and goes, you know what? There is going to be a boss of bosses. And guess what? It's me. And he later admitted that the whole, or at least a large part of the point of this was to teach Genovese a lesson in public. See, I had it, I had it differently. Uh, and once again, sources vary wildly. So, Ever so wildly. Yes. In, in the meeting, Genovese uh, tries to convince Luciano to become the boss of bosses and then let Genovese run everything. Luciano looks at him and goes, there is no boss of bosses. I turned it down in front of everybody. If I ever change my mind, I will take the title, but it won't be up to you. Right now, you work for me, and I ain't in the mood to retire. Don't you ever let me hear this again, or I'll lose my temper. Well, that's exactly what he did. He said, there is no boss of bosses, but then he turned around in the meeting, and he was like, guess what? I'm the boss of bosses. Fuck you, Genovese, essentially. Go fuck your cousin a little bit more. Like, essentially, for, he, he was punishing Genovese for the sin of asking for all that power. Mm-hmm. This, this friendship deteriorated just a little bit, as they do in organized crime. There's no friendships in organized crime. No, there really aren't. Yeah. So, Genovese, though, he's still got power. He's, he's the capo of his former Greenwich Village crew. Uh, Moretti is assassinated by order of the Mafia Commission. The mob bosses are unhappy with his testimony uh, during some hearies, hearings. Uh, and they were worried uh, with the syphilis that uh, <laughs> that I just love the fact that Moretti has syphilis and they're going, like, ah, <laughs> we can cure this. And now it's affecting his brain and he might start talking to the press. So Costello and Costello is a little bit weird. Costello really kind of trusts Genovese and Costello goes, hey, Genovese, come here. You're the new underboss. Come here, buddy. So when when. When Genovese came back to the U.S., he and Anna got back together and they moved to New Jersey. But that essentially ends her career. She's expected to be the happy little housewife again. And in 1950, they separate. There is some domestic violence involved. We'll get into that with the newspaper articles. She testified against him in court. And it's hard enough to do that as a domestic violence victim who isn't married to a mob boss. This is something no mob wife had ever 
done. I mean, she was being threatened, essentially, even by newspaper columnists who were friends with mob bosses. They would put something in the paper like, oh, Anna Genovese better look both ways before she crosses the street. Um, so, yeah, she from my newspaper articles uh, we have from the uh, evening star of Washington, D.C. in 1953, because this went on for a couple years. There was separation. Then there was filing suit against him for, for maintenance. And then she retracted the suit and then she filed the suit again for more maintenance. So, OK, I'm going to read this. Uh, wife of Racket King bears life of luxury and terror. A wife's eye view of the underworld was told yesterday by Mrs. Vito Genovese, whose husband has been described as king of the rackets. Genovese, now facing deportation proceedings, is involved in almost all the rackets his wife, Anna, testified in her suit for separate maintenance. A countersuit for divorce has been filed by Genovese against his 48-year-old wife. She claims he wants to divorce because he is in love with another woman. While on the stand, Mrs. Genovese said her husband raked in tens of thousands of dollars each week from underworld activities. Regularly, on Tuesday and Thursday, he met with the syndicate, she added. Her husband beat her, broke her nose, set fire to her hair with a cigarette, threatened to put me, quote, threatened to put me in an asylum, drive me to suicide or kill me, end quote, Mrs. Genovese went on. Quote, I never told the doctors I was beaten. I was so ashamed of it, end quote, she told Superior Court. During her 22 years of marriage with Genovese, money was no object, she said. I never knew the value of it. Genovese lives in what his wife calls a luxurious mansion in Swank, Atlantic Islands. Uh, she would her personally handle 20000 to 30000 a week that he brought home from the Italian lottery that he ran in New York. She was asking for $350 a week in maintenance and reeled off a list of what she called her husband's far-flung enterprises. But he never did any business under his own name, she said, not even when making purchases such as her six fur coats and plush furnishings for their homes. Uh, getting witnesses to testify in her suit was a hard job, Mrs. Genovese told the court, because, quote, everybody is afraid of getting killed where Vito is concerned. Genovese did not take the stand. He may be called today. Governor Dewey of New York has dubbed him King of the Rackets. And then a similar article that I just want to quote one little bit from uh, from the next day's uh, proceedings. A parade of witnesses took the stand earlier. They disputed Mrs. Genovese's testimony of Monday in which she told of drinking parties and are you guys ready for this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kissing parties. Oh. Kissing his, in his swank home. On the genitals. And she would eventually become free of him. She uh, managed to live a life with her, her lover. And eventually... The most, uh, okay, the, aside from, you know, like being so free as to run uh, gay nightclubs and bars and, and drag bars and such, but she also later in life, uh, she, she ran a hotel, uh, one of the residents of the hotel she became friends with, Cary Grant. Hmm. Nice. Indeed. Nice. That, I love Cary Grant. He's like my favorite actor. Like if you ask me favorite actor of like, you know, like, Old movies, Cary Grant is always, always, always number one for me. So to me, I was like, uh, that. I literally put that in caps. Eventually becomes good friends with Cary Grant. <laughs> have you ever, I think I've probably told this story before, but have you ever heard the story about Milton Berle and Cary Grant at the same party in Hollywood? Yes, we have <clears throat> talked about that story yes, before. I yeah. remember that. 
If anybody, if anybody wants to hear the story, uh, shoot us a message, uh, like po put a post over on the old timey crimey Facebook page and I'll record the story and put it up on YouTube. Uh, or you can email us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Yeah, we will, we will tell you the story or, you know, we'll just put it in the next episode and we'll make it tiny about yeah. it. Another well, option. Yeah. One of the things I love though is, is didn't. And I get to know Cary Grant because he was gay and he was probably frequenting her clubs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think it was that commonality that brought brought them together. I'm not sure if she's continued running clubs, although I, I kind of think that she did and actually may have. It was her clubs that may have had a part in the Stonewall riots uh, that eventually happened. You never know. She could have had fabulous rainbow kissing parties. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Favorite Cary so, yeah, Grant. incredible. Favorite Cary Grant quote of all time: "Insanity doesn't run in my family. It gallops." Oh yes, from <laughs> Arsenic and Old Lace. Oh. I have that on a pin on my school bag. <laughs> oh, I love that. So back to that. That is my stuff on Anna. <laughs> we might do a whole show on her, especially after I listen to the Mob Queens podcast. Uh, but already from listening to the very beginning, I'm going to go ahead and say I recommend it. So <laughs> I'll let you know if I'm wrong later. <laughs> So there is one person in the entire world that for some strange reason trusts Genovese. He hit his head in just the right way. Uh, the two molecules in his brain rubbed against each other and decided you're going to trust Genovese. And that person was Costello. Uh, and in the 1950s, Genovese makes what I'm going to call a dumb move and goes, uh, we need to move against Costello. The one person that actually trusts Genovese, and Genovese decides to rub him out, right? Genovese knows that he needs to remove Costello's ally, uh, Albert Anastasia. Uh, he is the boss of the Anastasia crime family, and he's like conspiring with Carlo Gambino, who's the underboss. They're going to get together. They're going to remove Anastasia, and in 57... I know it's a little bit late for what we usually do, but it started. It started a lot earlier. We're just going, we're just riding the wave into the mid-50s here. In 57, Genovese decides to move on Costello. He orders Vincent Gigante to murder the Genovese crime family boss Costello. And on May 2nd, 1957, Gigante wounds Costello outside of his apartment building. And the wound is superficial, but it persuades Costello to relinquish power to Genovese and retire. I love this part for some reason. Just the fact that all these people are killed and killed and killed. And Costello is smart enough that he's like, uh, no, you grazed me, but that's fine. That's fine. You take it. It's mm -hmm. all yours. That's fine. I'm not going to endanger my life anymore because this is this is enough. I, Something about that. Some people might call that wimpy. I call it smart. We can't, okay, all, we can't all be legs diamond and get shot so many times that you can use your own dick as a pencil. Right. So what I love about this is Gigante is actually the reason Costello is alive. Because as he was getting ready to shoot him, he yells, this is for you, Frank, which caused Costello to turn his head. And so the bullet grazed around the side and back of his head instead of being a through and through. Costello drops to the ground, Gigante makes a run for it. The reason Costello is alive is this is for you, Frank. You're not supposed to warn them. <laughs> no, you're supposed to break the legs first and then go, this is from Mr. Sinatra, and then shoot them. 
That's but the way it works. Had it not been for that, he wouldn't have whipped his head around, which yeah. caused the bullet to pretty much just shave part of his head. Which is enough to make him say, and it would be enough to make me say, you know what, that's fine, I'm out, I'm going to retire, I'm going to live a nice, quiet life. I don't know exactly what happened to Frank Costello afterwards, but I imagine that was at least his thought process. Mm. He did. He actually did get to retire. They let him retire from the family. Yeah. And then it becomes, it, it had continued even while Costello was running it, it had continued to be the Luciano family, because they had divided everything up into five different families in New York when Luciano took over. And... Now, with Costello out of the picture, it becomes the Genovese crime family. Now, let's talk a little bit about the retirement. Yes, Costello retires. In 1973, Costello suffers a heart attack and dies in, his, uh, dies in a hospital in Manhattan on February 18th. And he has a very quiet memorial service. It was attended by 50 relatives, friends, law enforcement agents, and he was interred in St. Michael's Cemetery. Do you think they'd let the fucking guy rest? Carmine Galante, in 1974, orders the bombing of Costello's mausoleum. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh, my God. Mm. I'll Why? get that fuck. That's the mob version of pissing on somebody's grave. Why? Let's blow up his grave. But for what purpose? Just because, fuck you, Costello. That's bizarre. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was just so weird. So weird. That is really weird. Yeah. But after, yeah, after Costello walked out, it became the Genovese crime family, and Genovese had an idea. He was like, yeah, I remember when we held this big summit, this big conference in Chicago. We should do the same thing, except, guys, guys, let's do it in a really small town so it's super noticeable. Right? It's so, it's honestly, it is so dumb. They have a hundred mafiosi come to this little tiny, at, at this point in time, this, this town has, right now, in 2020, this town has like, a little over a thousand residents. So imagine it in the 1950s. And I tried to look up the census records, but like the census website is super fucked right now. So awesome. Great. Fantastic. But the, the it heals this big summit and it's not even just from the United States. Italy sends a mafioso over Cuba sends a mafioso over and it's held held in Appalachian, New York, which come on. If that isn't the smallest small town name you've ever heard. Like the, the, and, the only way it could be like a smaller small town name if it was actually named small town. Yeah, exactly. And there's a tiny town and you have what do do mafia bosses, do they drive Toyota Corollas? No shade to people who drive Corollas. Do they drive like little Volkswagen bugs? No, they drive expensive black sedans and all these black expensive cars come rolling through Appalachian and everybody's like, the fuck is going on here? And I just, all I could think of was we lived in a town near here. I'm not going to name the town. I'm not going to name the restaurant that was in that town, but every Monday... That restaurant, which specialized in a certain ethnic cuisine from uh, a country in, in Europe, uh, every Monday, it, it was uh, close. It, they would close, and we lived nearby at the time, and we would walk past, and there would be a half dozen, a dozen shiny black 
sedans in the parking lot. Except for that one. I want to see like Genovese's. I want to see Genovese's like car commercial. And you know, just him going like, you know what? Whenever I pick out a car, the thing I look for is reliability and fuel consumption. That's why I drive a Volvo station wagon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Genovese actually, the, the, the cops come in. And they're they're trying to like they're they're thinking about arresting people. They're stopping people, and the people in Genovese's car are like, "Yeah, hey, we're going to a barbecue." <laughs> Literally, that was one of the excuses. We're going to a barbecue. I'm sorry for my horrible, stupid Italian accent. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. And the it's, police go, "Well, you're kind of white, so sure." Essentially, yes. Yeah. Exactly. You're white. Let go. We don't want to die. Yep. Yep. On June 2nd, 1958, Genovese testifies under subpoena to the U.S. Senate McClellan hearings on organized crime. He answered no questions. He gave the fifth 150 separate times. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, in 1959, he is brought up on federal narcotics charges, but... It's kind of looking like Luciano might have set this up with like a Puerto Rican gangster, if I'm remembering right. And it, it's, it's uncertain still to this day, but that seemed to be the idea because the kind of charge that this was, was not the kind of thing that a big time mafia guy would get his fingers in. He would have, you know, his underlings taking care of this shit. So it seemed kind of like a setup, but nonetheless... He gets found guilty, and he gets 15 years in prison. Mm -hmm. Over the years, actually, he had been arrested for carrying a concealed weapon, alcohol, gambling, assault, robbery, homicide, and garment industry shakedowns. That sounds okay. about right. Sure, yeah, sounds right. And it was this narcotics charge that may or may not have been a complete setup that brought him down. You know what, though? I actually I saw something really interesting in my, my search is uh, the FBI still has files on him and they have I believe it was like 135 pages, but almost nothing would stick to the guy. Yeah, I actually tried to access those, but I, it, the website is set up really weird. So you can't get to them. Yes. Like, you, know, you can only yeah. see the, the page where I got the list of the different charges that he had essentially escaped, but you couldn't actually get to the real pages and I couldn't figure out what was going on. Like there, you get to that a page where they're charging. I wanted to see the whole files and I saw that like at the yeah. bottom it says purchase now. And I'm like, no. And you <laughs> couldn't even purchase that. And you try to do a search and then it won't let you search things. Yeah, that website was really messed up. I didn't like it at all. I was very upset because the, the, the in-depth researcher in me wants to get into it, you know? So, no, couldn't couldn't really get into it as much as I wanted. But, yeah, he ends up in federal prison in Georgia. Genovese is still running shit from prison. You got to you gotta love the tenacity here as much as he was a, a bunch of shit water. He really was a huge <laughs> amount of shit water. Here's something that I didn't realize was an honest-to-God real thing. I thought this was just shit from, like, mafia films. In, in 1962... There was a, a murder threat from Genovese uh, that propelled uh, Joseph Vellacci, uh, a mobster, into the spotlight. And in June, Genovese accused Vellacci, who was also in prison at this time, of being an informer and gave Vellacci the kiss of death. The kiss of death. Mwah! Right. He gives him the kiss of death. This is a real thing. What the fuck? I didn't realize this. 
uh, there was a $100,000 bounty for Velacci's death that had been placed by Genovese. And... Uh, from prison. From prison. <laughs> from prison. And... Gen and this, guy, this guy gets more shit done in prison than I get done at home. Right? Right? It, it's like it doesn't even fucking matter. He's like fucking running it from prison like he's goddamn Shook Knight. Yeah. Yeah, and Velacci goes, I ain't fucking dealing with this. I am now a government, <laughs> I'm a government snitch. Yay. And to be fair, uh, Velacci dies 1971 of a heart attack while he's serving his sentence at the Federal uh, Correction Institute, uh, Institution in Anthony, Texas. Um, so yeah, he actually escaped the kiss of death. Kind of fucking impressive. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he outlives Genovese. Uh, Genovese himself, he dies of a heart attack at the uh, United States Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. And he is buried at St. John Cemetery in Middle Village, Queens. And apparently that we're, apparently we're in a lot of trouble because the Genovese family is still active today in New York City. It is, but I have I have one um, before he died. This is 1964. They found Rapolo's body. Because I just want to bring this up because this actually happened. Uh, he was recovered from Jamaica Bay, Queens, with two concrete blocks attached to his legs and his hands tied. So that's a real thing. Swimming Did, with the fishes. Does it just seem like Vito Genovese was? A, like a, a mafia movie fan who just happened to be in the mafia? Almost. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, really. Or yeah. The, they made a lot of that stuff from his life and doings is a possibility too. Yeah. I do have one extra thing at, that I want to discuss and that is weird mom, mob nicknames. But I'm going to be a little podcast bitch and I'm going to make all the listeners sit through A, my usual spiel and B, us talking about what we're doing over the weekend before I tell them uh, my very extensive, seriously, it's like one fifth of my notes, list of weird mob nicknames, some that have explanations and some that we can only speculate on. So uh, okay. we're going to get to that. But first, uh, my spiel. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. We have different levels. You can get early release of episodes. You can get the tinies that we release every week. Where we This week, Scott told us all about something that was banned in New York City that is a vegetable. Mm-hmm. And was considered a crime and gave us the whole history of it. It was absolutely fascinating. I had no idea about any of this shit. So I learned a lot and I laughed a lot. So we have that. We have different benefits you can get as well. And then also, if you're not the long-term relationship type, if you just want to leave a buck or a buck 50 on the nightstand, you can do that via our PayPal. Just use the email oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Please, if you have a spare second, right now, in fact, go rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use those, actually, I don't, admission, I don't use, I'm, I'm an Android and a Windows person. I don't use Apple Podcasts at all, but I do have iTunes on my computer so that I can go and rate podcasts that I'm, I like. I'm a and stitcher whore. Them. I am an absolute stitcher whore. 
there you go. You can rate and review us on Stitcher. Even if you're not an, an on Apple, you can have iTunes on a Windows computer and you can rate and review podcasts that you like. So not just us, like honestly, rate and review us. Love it, love it, love it. But also go and rate and review other independent podcasts that you know of. It's tough times out there and we're doing this I mean, I know we throw ads at you sometimes, but a lot of this, that's thats keeping the lights on. We're doing this out of the love for what we do and out of the love for our listeners. So just that's the little thing that you can do to make it even more worthwhile to bring this, you know, crazy historical crime, true crime stuff to your ears every week. That was phrased really weirdly, but I don't care. I'm sticking with it. And also don't forget our social media. We are Old Timey Crimey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Come by. We put up uh, a lot of uh, media related to the crimes that we discuss each week. And there's also our Amazon wish list available at the link tree on any of those social media accounts. And you can buy us a book. And you basically can be the god of this podcast and choose what we discuss. We take turns. It's my turn next week, I believe, to pick what we talk about and what case we, we delve into. You can be one of us and pick the case that we delve into by buying us a book for, you know, pretty cheap, probably. I mean, most of the like ebook prices are cheap. So, you know, go with an ebook if it's cheaper. But yeah, you can control our lives. Wouldn't that be fun to be a god? Mm-hmm. If you want to be a god, tag your god. <laughs> yes, be Zeus and. Have sex with a lot of women. Um, so, yeah, that is all my bullshit. So before we talk about some weird mob nicknames to wrap all this up, uh, Scott, what you doing this weekend? This weekend, I am I am going to go to Hingston Dam after work, and I'm going to sit down with a cold Mountain Dew and just watch the water lap back and forth, and then I'm going oh, to that- come home and and just kind of maybe clean a little bit. That sounds lovely, except for the cleaning part, but it, you, you got to do what you got to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the, yeah, Hingston Dam is a lovely, lovely place, not too far from either of our houses. And uh, we've gone canoeing there. We've gone hiking there and got very lost and almost needed a helicopter rescue. So, um, or at least so I thought. Amber, what you doing this weekend? I have tromped around the Hingston Run a lot. Um, so I actually have one thing related to our podcast that somehow we avoided. So um, the five families, the whole mafia, was referred to as uh, La Cosa Nostra. I, I apologize if I'm saying that wrong. No, you we got did. it. You got it right. That's that's a yeah. very so, common. Yeah, that's a very common term for the mafia. So I, I love this. So the translation of that is this thing of ours. Mm-hmm. And, and so like I just thought that was fantastic. That is fantastic. <laughs> so you're gonna start like a, a a mafia family this weekend, or yeah, you know this thing I do. Um, so I'm probably just going to go to the liquor store and then drink whatever I buy. Uh, considering the day you had today. Yeah. I, I, I don't blame you. You know, it's been a week, but, um, so tomorrow my little ones are going fishing. Aw. So, uh, we'll see how it goes with two toddlers in a boat. Hmm. Um, kind of sounds right away like it's going to go poorly, but they have life jackets and um, little baby fishing rods, and so we're very, very excited. Where are, the, where are you guys going to, or where are they being taken fishing? I don't know. Hingston Run actually sounds, or, or the, like the Hingston Dam sounds like a good spot because it's very calm there. Do you guys so, want to go to the Hingston Dam together, 5 o'clock Friday? 
I'm I'm actually going to be working. Um, so my my um, in laws are taking the kids when Kennedy gets out of school around noon. So they're going while I'm working. Um, yeah, I, I would go, but I've spent so much time this week in and around hospitals and also no, updating yeah, people good. about hospitals that I'm way behind on detectives by the decade. So I'm going to be doing that tomorrow, <laughs> which I'm actually I, I'm excited about and it's fun, but I'm tired. It's also the thing. I'm very tired. That's I mean, then after I I'm definitely going to dedicate some time to self-care this weekend and also sending letters to voters via vote forward vote F wd.org and those are the and which i consider a form of self-care because it makes me feel better about you know what might be coming and and like maybe things might possibly get better so but i'm also going to cross stitch because uh i'm 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 crazy like that and watch some movies i want to watch some movies this weekend i watched this I, I did i did watch the stranger beside me on amazon prime last weekend oh my god holy shit yes you were right that was the that should be the definitive version of Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, and that ending. Oh holy shit. I was so uncomfortable, but it was so good. Oh the part that oh. creased me out is he used to walk her out to the car. Yep. Because yep, she was yep. afraid of the serial killer that was loose. Yeah, if you haven't read The Stranger Beside Me, I absolutely would read it and then watch the the, the movie on Amazon Prime. It hits the highlights. Like, Jackson asked me afterwards, he's like, what do you think comparatively? And I'm like, well, obviously, the book is like 500 pages because at this point she has 18 epilogues that she's added in successive versions. And But it's so good. It is one of those books that you have to, like, there's not too many books that I've had to do this, but I had to step away from it for, for a little while before the ending because I was like, I just need to absorb before the ending. Um, and uh, Under the Banner of Heaven uh, was another book that I had to do that with because it was like, this is getting too horrifying for me. And so different reasons for, for with The Stranger Beside Me, it was just an onslaught of horror. Yeah, it was just, it was making me scared to sleep at night. So, but yeah, The Stranger Beside Me, I recommend both the, the book highly and the movie almost as highly, but the book is super comprehensive and gives you a, like an incredible, like, was literally the stranger beside him her that was ted bundy she, this is a person who knew a serial killer and she was a crime writer like it was ann roll wasn't it ann roll yes ann yeah. roll amazing amazing i need to read more of her books yeah so so yeah that is my weekend is definitely some self-care to recover from this past week because the uh, anxiety from everything all the events of the past couple days has been a lot to deal with and uh, i have a couple i have about a week until my next therapy appointment so i just gotta ride it out but in the meantime before we end the episode i am gonna tell you guys some weird ass mob nicknames are you ready here we go joseph jr lollipops karna okay his father owned a restaurant called Lollies, so they called him Junior Lollipops. He wasn't a huge fan of it, but Anthony, the Ant Spilatro, um, an FBI special agent, actually called him that little piss ant. And the media was like, we like that, but we can't print that. So we'll just call him the Ant. And actually, if you want to know more about Anthony Spilatro, highly recommend the Mobbed Up podcast, which actually is partially... Like the Mob Museum of Las Vegas, that is one of our sources for this episode, has a big, big, huge part of that. So I would highly recommend that podcast. I listened to the whole thing. It was really interesting. Louis, or Louis, I'm never sure what that name, 
Louis Haha Atanasio Jr. Of course. Guess what he would say when someone told him about a mob killing? <laughs> exactly. Anthony Gaspipe Casso. Uh, he may have killed over 100 people. Uh, the stories went, we don't know for sure, but the stories went that he used a gas pipe in his hits or in a lot of them. His father actually had the name Lead Pipe because he would carry around, I'm sure you can guess, a lead pipe. But do not call Anthony Gas Pipe Casso Gas Pipe to his face. If you're his close friend, you can call him Gas. Okay, good to know. Seriously, I can't imagine a straight face and calling somebody gas, but okay. Uh, one that nobody really knows the origins of, but uh, I'm sure some people can guess, would be Frank Skids Caruso. <laughs> Hope it had to do with driving and not his underwear. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the question. Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo. No, he didn't have ducks in his backyard like I do. He ducked a lot of convictions. Hmm. <laughs> on a similar note, and by the way, not all of these are from our era. This is this is all over the place. Seriously, this is some are old, some are new, etc. Just I just picked funny names. Some are borrowed, some are blue. Yes, <laughs> Angelo Quack Quack Ruggiero. Of course. <laughs> now there's two possibilities. One was because he would just like to talk, so they called him Quack Quack. And I can tell you one thing: ducks quack a lot. Like, I know you know that, because, but you don't know how much ducks quack until you have ducks. And then you realize ducks quack a lot. Like, like three quacks per step. <laughs> it's to the extent that if my ducks are quiet, I hear phantom quacks. I'm not even kidding you. But there also was a possibility that it was because he had a little bit of a waddling gait because he had an inflammatory disorder in his feet. So, or both, maybe both. This one, nobody knows the explanation. He's not a big guy, so nobody really knows why. George Butterass de Chicho. <laughs> Gay and has a specialty lube. Yep, yep, yep. Donald, the Wizard of Odds, and Julio. Obviously gambling. Uh, 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 my, uh, I had a sibling who gave me a special present before my wedding. It was called the Wizard of Oz. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. Ch Charles, the typewriter, Nicoletti. I don't have any explanation. I don't know why. I was just interested. I bet he probably said something like he shot off a couple machine guns and said something about it sounding like a typewriter. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Sam Teets Pataglia. Man tits. <laughs> Yeah, gotta be. Mm -hmm. Or just really, really was a boot man. I can understand that. Now, these two, they're from different eras, but in the Wikipedia list, they end up being back to back. You have Joe, because the Wikipedia list of, of mob names is all alphabetical, obviously. So Joe Esposito, who's known as Diamond Joe, and he lived from 1872 to 1928. Then you have Natale Avola, who's known as Joe Diamond. And he lived from 1907 to 1973. And they were in different cities. One was in, I believe, New York, and the other was in Chicago. So you didn't have them crossing paths or anything that I know of. But it's just funny that you have right back to back in the Wikipedia, Diamond Joe and Joe Diamond. Nice. 
another uh, instance of everything kind of working together really well uh, that, that the literary person in me likes is brothers Sam and Rosario Maceo, Maceo maybe. They were respectively the Velvet Glove and the Iron Glove. <laughs> Sam was the smooth talker and Rosario was the enforcer, the Velvet Glove and the Iron Glove. I know it's so perfect, isn't it? it? Is. It's kind of, it's kind of like you want them to to, to succeed because you you just like the syn- synchronicity of it. <laughs> then you had um, this guy has a couple different nicknames. Uh, some people call him Bruno, but some keep people call him Anthony Whack Whack Indelicado. Of course, Whack Whack. We had Quack Quack. Now we have Whack Whack, but they're very, very different. Luigi Baby Shacks Minocchio. I don't even I don't even fucking know. I don't want to know. <laughs> moving, <And> on. moving <laughs> on. Finally, we have the entry with the most nicknames on the Wikipedia well-known mob people entries. Thomas Bellotti, who was known as the Wig, the Toupee, the Doberman. Zombie Bilotti, the Pitbull, and barely counts as a nickname, really kind of doesn't. Tommy. Tommy. Aww. They stretched their creative muscles with that one, didn't they? Don't don't hurt anything, you know? (laughs) So that has been uh, Vito Genovese, all of his associates, and some weird-ass or butter-ass mob nicknames. And that's our episode for this week. We hope you guys enjoyed it. You can do all the things I told you, like social media, Patreon, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to tell you. I already told you. So we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to our... Oh, wait. I have one more thing. <gasps> I'm working on merch, guys. Ooh. If you have anything you'd want on a shirt, mug, sticker, et cetera, like cell phone case, all of these things oldtimeycrymy at gmail.com or on any of our social media. Just let us know. We've already got some ideas, but I'm very willing to crowdsource. If there's anything we've said or done that you think you would wear or display on your phone or put a sticker on something or drink out a coffee out of, let us know and I will make sort of art out of it. It's close to art. I'm, I'm not I'm not a graphic designer, so I'm doing the best I can. But I'm working on merch that's going to be coming out in the next couple months, so look for it. Save your pennies and buy some old-timey grimy shit that's from me to you. That's from me to you. Oh, all of a sudden at the end, I'm getting Italian. I'm getting Italian! Hey, Dario! Oh, oh, let's go uh, kick us some turtles and eat mushrooms. Uh, thank you for listening to our filthy words. Uh, bye! Uh, buongiorno! Bye! <laughs> <laughs> gotta do it. Gotta do it like Quentin Tarantino. Bongiorno. 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 My sources this week are Wikipedia.org, CrimeMuseum.org, TheMobMuseum.org, and Mafia.Wikia.org. My sources this week are The Mob Museum, The Mafia at Appalachian 1957 by Michael Newton, Wikipedia, National Crime Syndicate, and Italy Heritage. My sources this week are nationalcrimesyndicate.com, mafia.wikia.org, mobmuseum.org, and occrp.org, which stands for Organized Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. Ooh. Ooh.